So let's recap uh, last week because we began a new series on the undomesticated attributes of God. We saw that the most important thought that you will ever think is what you think when you think of God because it will determine every dimension in your life. It really matters what we think about God. So we want to make sure that we think right thoughts about God and about who He is. But we not only want to think rightly about God, we also want to delight in and rejoice in what we think about Him and what we discover about Him. So that means our affections, our hearts are connected with our brains. That means that every new truth that we discover about God should lead us to awe and wonder. Every single truth that you learn about Jesus in your life should lead you to awe and wonder. But what we soon discover about God is that there are always new things to discover about him. We will never arrive We will always, for all eternity, be discovering new things about God that lead us to awe and wonder. So eternity will just be day after day, moment by moment, something like this. This is what it's going to be like on the new earth. You'll go up to someone and say, I just learned this about God, whatever it was. How awesome. Wow. Whoa. That's heavy. I just got goosebumps. That's it. That's eternity. Paul Smalley said it perfectly when he described what it was like for us to do theology, for us to have conversations about God, us to talk about God. He said this. He said, we're like children who are having a discussion about nuclear physics. That's it. That's the tweet. And the theological way of saying that we're like children having discussions about nuclear physics when we talk about God is to say that God is incomprehensible. Today we're going to be discovering the incomprehensible God. We're going to look at that particular attribute of God, the incomprehensibility of the triune God. And when you come to grips with God's incomprehensibility, you soon discover that no matter how many degrees you have, no matter how many times you've read the Bible, no matter how many theology books you've read, you soon discover that one, there is always more to learn about God, and two, only God really knows all there is to know about God. But if God is incomprehensible, What can we know about him? And that's really the most basic question of theology there is. If God is incomprehensible, what can we know about him? And here's the answer. We can know some things about God. We can know a lot of things about God. Just not all things. So God remains incomprehensible because he reveals himself without revealing everything that there is to know about him. 
So it's not like on one hand we have zero knowledge of God, and on the other hand, it's not like we know all that there is to know about him. Rather, we know enough about him. We know enough to be saved, but we do not know everything there is to know about him. And Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 11. So turn to Romans 11 in your Bibles or on your iPhones. What we're going to see is that after spending three chapters on God's sovereign choice in election, how does Paul conclude his thought? After three chapters on God's sovereign choice in election, what does Paul say? How does he conclude his thought? Does he cry out like many people do? That's not fair, Jesus. That's not politically correct of you, God. You must play by our rules. You must act the way we want you to act. No, instead, Paul explodes with praise and rejoicing and delight in the inscrutable ways of God. Paul knows that he can't fully understand God's ways, so instead he just explodes with praise. And that's our big idea today. When you don't understand God's ways explode with praise. When you climb the sheer cliffs of who God is and you look over that vast expanse and when you dive off the high dive down into the deep end of God's ways and you don't understand, then just worship him. I'm going to assume that there are many times in your life when you do not understand what God is doing. When you do not understand his ways, when you do not understand why things are happening, and the temptation in those moments is to become antsy, or to become bitter, or to become angry, or to be full of despair, you fill in the blank. And the remedy is simply to worship and be in awe of the incomprehensible God whose ways are beyond you. And that's what Paul does in Romans 11. After swimming in the deep end of God's sovereign choice in election. So let's look at Romans 11 beginning in verse 33 and hear the word of the Lord. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Can you uh, sense the explosive joy in Paul's heart here? He just bursts forth in adoration of the incomprehensible God that he loves. Paul's like, I have no idea about all the ways that God works in salvation, how he works in the world, and why he chooses some and doesn't choose others. So I'm just going to worship. And that's not a bad plan when you don't understand God's ways. Puritan Thomas Watson, in his commentary on the Westminster Shorter Catechism, says that we need to learn to admire where you cannot fathom. Learn to admire God when you cannot fathom God and fathom what he is doing. 
Now, this goes against everything we think, right? Because our impulse is what? To solve mysteries rather than to admire them. We're always trying to solve the Trinity, aren't we? God's like an apple. No, he's like water, ice, steam. This, no analogy of God or the Trinity works, okay? There's nothing in creation that we can point to and say, that's like God. There's nothing. But we want to solve mysteries, don't we, instead of admiring them. We don't like not knowing things. We don't like being left in the dark. So we might be tempted to become frustrated at the mysterious ways of God. But this is not the proper response to God's incomprehensibility. He is not a mystery. He is not a riddle. He is not a complex math problem or equation to be solved by us. And it's not that his incomprehensibility can finally be overcome by further revelation from him as if there is an actual end to who God is. I remember, it was years ago, there was a commercial where a guy said, like, told his wife, honey, come here. And he's like, I finally reached the end of the internet. Do you remember that commercial? He's like, I've actually been everywhere there is to go. I can't go anywhere else. Sometimes we want that with God. We want there to be an end that we come to and say, I know all I need to know. What we see with Paul in Romans 11 is that it is precisely in his true knowledge of God that he discovers God to be incomprehensible. It is through God's revelation of himself in Scripture that we find him to be incomprehensible. And then Paul teaches us in Romans 11 that mystery and incomprehensibility prompt praise and adoration and worship of God rather than frustration. As Sinclair Ferguson says, What theology does is stretch your intellect, as it were, to both extremes. On the one is the extreme of knowing, and the other is incomprehensibility. So that there's a correlation between the degree of his incomprehensibility and the degree of my joy that I know him. If he's easily comprehended, If it can just take you five minutes and you know everything about God, then the effect of that on you as an individual is going to be, I can get it in five minutes. But if he is genuinely incomprehensible, and yet he dwells invisibly in the eternal place, and yet also with the likes of me, then it's the distance between these two things that affects the sense of privilege and joy you can see how it's actually the incomprehensibility of God that puts the real dynamic and energy into our worship. Have you ever thought about that? That the incomprehensibility of God puts the real dynamic and energy into our worship? That the incomprehensible God who dwells in heaven also dwells here with us at Grace in California? God comes to California? That there is this vast expanse, this long distance between all that God is and what little we know about him. And that that distance can actually bring us joy in worship. That the incomprehensible God actually wants 
to fellowship and have communion with us? I mean, look around at us. We're not that impressive. And yet it's this God who says in 2 Corinthians 6, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, the incomprehensible God just cannot get close enough to his people. Even though he is infinitely incomprehensible, yet he wants to commune with finite, limited, sinful people like us. It's amazing. He wants to have an intimate relationship with us. He wants to have an intimate relationship with you personally. But please understand that when we say that God is incomprehensible, it does not mean that we have no way of ever knowing anything about God. Incomprehensibility means that we cannot fully comprehend all that God is. It means that no human mind can conceive and understand and completely comprehend all that God is. It means that our knowledge of him is not exhaustive. Rather, it is very limited. It means that there are some things and some ways of God that we can never know. Hmm. Why? Because God is infinite and we are finite. He will always be infinite, and we will always be finite, even for all eternity. With our new glorified bodies, we will always be finite creatures. We will never know all that there is to know about God. Even the angels that fly around his throne and cry out, holy, 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 They are limited in their knowledge. They do not know God completely. Only God knows all there is to know about God. He's the expert, not us. Not an angel, not some guy with his PhD in theology. The only expert on the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity is the greatest expert on the Trinity. Not your favorite theologian. Not Paul. Not Moses. God and God alone is adequate to comprehend himself. As Jen Wilkins says, the only expert on God is God. So, Run away from any pastor or any author or any theologian who claims to know all there is to know about God or thinks they know the most about God. Run away from any Mr. Know-it-all theologians because everyone is and everyone always will be learning new things about God. Knowledge of God should produce Humility, 
not haughtiness. Any theologian or pastor who walks with a swagger in his step does not know God that well. No matter what they say or how many books they've written or what degrees they have hanging on their walls. And that's what we want to do in this series. We want to know God. We don't want to just know about God. We want to know him. We want to know the incomprehensible God more and more and more. If we get to the end of this series and you say, Pastor, I know him a little bit better, then that's a win. And here's the good news. We can know him. We can truly know him, but just not exhaustively. We may know God truly, but we cannot know him fully. So this attribute of God reminds us that we will never stop learning about God. We will spend all eternity learning more things about God. We will spend life on the new earth learning about God, expanding our knowledge of him, increasing in our understanding of who he is. We will not get there and get the God 2.0 download where we suddenly know all there is to know about God. Why? Why won't we just get a download of all that God is? Because he is infinite and we aren't. He is incomprehensible and we will never know him exhaustively. We will never know all there is to know about God. We will never fully grasp his essence. We truly will be lifelong learners for eternity, always learning about him. Why? Because God is so much greater than we realize. We say things like, our God is greater than we can imagine. He is glorious. He is infinite. But he is so much greater than our conception of him. That's humbling. Think about that. What you think of God, what you conceive him to be, he is massively greater than your understanding and your comprehension of him. You cannot put him in a little box and say, I know God, because he's greater than your conception of him. We really have no idea how great and glorious our God is. We have just barely scratched the surface. For instance, Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. And then you have Job 26 verse 14. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power Who can understand? His greatness is unsearchable. You can't come to the end of it. And what we see of him in creation, which Job is talking about, like wells and oceans and mountains and volcanoes and tornadoes and clouds and stars and planets and black holes and galaxies, these are just the outskirts of his ways. The outskirts. The entire universe is just a small whisper of him. You look at all the universe, and it's just saying, Jesus, there's more. How much greater must he be if some galaxy out in outer space 
is just a whisper of him. And yet, and yet, this His greatness is unsearchable, God, loves us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross. He gave up his only son for us, for people like us. Why? So that we could be forgiven, but ultimately what? So that we could know him, so that we could know him intimately, so that we could know him intimately forever. Or for you people who love the movie The Sandlot, forever, forever. It's incredible that this God would send his son to pay the penalty of our sins so that we could know him forever. And not only are we never going to be able to truly know all that God knows, we are never going to be able to know in the way that God knows things. In other words, when God knows something, he understands all of it, forwards, backwards, sideways. He knows things as God, and we will never know things as God. We will always and only know things about God as creatures made in his image. He knows all things as the creator, and knowing things as God as the creator is simply off limits to us. That might offend someone. Knowing things about God as the creator is simply off limits to us. So sorry, but there isn't a know everything participation trophy when it comes to knowing God. And that may bother us because we want to know everything, right? We may even think that it's unfair of God not to reveal all of himself to us. So incomprehensibility might be an attribute of God that actually frustrates us. As we saw last week, God hasn't shared every single one of his thoughts with us. He hasn't revealed everything about himself. He's actually chosen not to reveal some things to us. Moses mentions this in Deuteronomy 29, 29. He says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So there are secret things that belong to God, and he has made the executive decision to not share them with us. How dare he do that, someone might reply. Some people read that verse, Deuteronomy 29, 29, and they want to cancel God. How dare he keep things to himself? And so for some people, they see it as unloving for God to decide to withhold some information from his people. And they wrongly believe that God should reveal everything that they may want to know. So for some, incomprehensibility is not an attribute that elicits awe and wonder. It's an attribute of God that elicits frustration. As the old Norwegian pastor Ole Halesby said, God is such that we cannot fully understand him. He is so great that none of his creatures can comprehend him completely. No man can meet God without discovering that he cannot understand God fully. 
It is that which we cannot understand and which therefore seems meaningless that irritates us and makes us rebellious more than anything else. For that reason, no aspect of God becomes a stumbling block to us more easily than his inscrutability. For this reason, no aspect of God breaks down our self-conceit and our self-sufficiently more quickly than this. The incomprehensibility of God, if we do not let it lead us to awe and wonder and to worship, it will irritate us because it challenges our self-conceit think we're important we should know challenges our self-sufficiency tell me everything there is to know about God well then I don't need to rely upon him and we see this when we want to know what God is doing in our lives in any given situation we want to know why things happen why COVID in the last two years right maybe we'll find out one day Maybe we know a little bit. We want to know what God is doing in our lives. We want to know why things happen. We want to know why God allows certain things. Well, God might reveal that to us. But in my experience, God does not always reveal why things happen. And I don't like that. And you don't like it either. So Oli Halesby is right. It irritates us that we don't know why God allows some things to happen or we don't know what he is doing in some situation. It's irritating because we are American and we deserve to know, right? I mean, this is California. We should get our way, God. So we need to be cautious that we don't let the incomprehensibility of God irritate us or drive us to despair or unbelief or bitterness. Instead, this attribute should lead us to worship, to awe, and to wonder. So the next time you're wondering why God is allowing what is happening in your life or why what is happening is happening, don't become irritated. Don't become bitter, don't become antsy, don't become angry, and don't despair. When you don't understand God's ways, explode with praise and trust Him and rest in His providence and His knowledge. And the reason why you can explode with praise when you don't understand His ways is because the God you worship knows everything there is to know about everything. He's not in the dark on anything. This is the God in whom you have placed your trust. The one person or the three persons of the Trinity who knows everything. This is the God that you trust and love. He knows everything. That should bring a a bit of peace and calm to your heart. He even knows what you're going to be doing later this week on Thursday afternoon at 2.36. He already knows. And he knows what you'll be doing 36 Thursday afternoons from now at 2.36 in the afternoon. You see, when we consider the incomprehensibility of God and how little we know of him, it should drive us to a deeper humility. And get this, whatever we don't know about God would in fact humble us and lead us to worship if God decided, decided to reveal it to us. Think about that. Both the things that we do know about God and the things that we don't know about him 
should lead us to worship. And if God decided to reveal some of the secret things to us, where would it lead us? To the exact same place, worship. So the things we know and the things we might know, should God reveal them, will always lead us to worship. The things that we do not know about God, they're actually good things. He just hasn't revealed it all to us. And he can do that because he's God. He makes the rules, right? Whatever God reveals to us in his word, whatever he will reveal to us, they are all good things, even if they are a mystery right now. They're all good things. But we cannot say that about ourselves, can we? Because we all have things about us that if we were to reveal them to others, it would not be good, would it? Thoughts, desires, words, actions, motives. And if we revealed these things to others, we would be embarrassed and we would be ashamed. And so might our friends and family. They might not want to be our friends anymore. If we revealed all of us to someone, they'd probably unfriend us and then block us on social media. We'd be canceled if we revealed everything about us, right? You know, the people that are just leading the charge in cancel culture, you know, you said something in kindergarten, canceled forever. I was five. The people that are leading the charge on cancel culture, you know what? They need to know this truth. They would be canceled if everything in their heart was revealed. And that they strut around with swagger like peacocks trying to cancel everybody left and right. And it's like, let me see inside your heart and the entire world would cancel you. But this is not how the incomprehensible God works. God does not have skeletons in his closet like us. But Moses tells us in Deuteronomy 29 that he does have things in his closet. God has secret things, so to speak, aspects about his nature and his essence and his ways that we will never know. God has good things hidden in his closet, and he's not embarrassed by them. And if he were to reveal them to you, do you know what you would do? You'd worship. You'd fall on your knees and worship him, not cancel him. And I think he will reveal some of these secret things to us in eternity. Not all things, because we are not God and we cannot handle that information. But we will continue. You know what? If God revealed everything he knows to you, you know your brain, you would say, make it stop, it hurts. Please, take it away. We, our brains couldn't handle it. But we will continue to grow in our understanding in eternity and it will lead us to worship and all. We can't know all of God's heart and we can't even know all of our own hearts, right? What did Jeremiah the prophet say in Jeremiah 17? Our hearts are sick and desperately wicked. Only God knows our hearts. In fact, two times in the book of Acts, he's called the heart knower. In Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 15. Get this. The very first name that the early church uses to address God in prayer after Jesus ascends to heaven, in the book of Acts they call him heart knower. What's their nickname for God at the beginning of the book of Acts? Heart-knower. 
That's the term they use to address God in prayer. Think about that. Jesus is the great heart knower. He knows our hearts even better than we do. That's humbling, isn't it? Man. Jesus knows all your deepest, darkest secrets. He knows how you feel about that person. He knows how you feel about that person who's sitting three pews in front of you. He knows your internet history. He knows what you obsess over. He knows your secret plans that nobody else knows. He knows the perverted thoughts that you have. He knows it all, everything. And get this, he still loves you and accepts you. He knows all your dirt, and yet he holds out his arms to you, and he says, come to me, and I will give you rest. He actually welcomes you with all of your mess, all of your sin, all the junk that's in your heart that if you were to reveal it to people, they would not want to be your friends, and they would cancel you. And Jesus knows it all, and he doesn't cancel you. He says, come here, come to me, I'll give you rest. So God is not only the only expert on God, he's also the only expert on our hearts. And that will humble you. He knows your heart better than you do, and he still loves you. So when we talk about the incomprehensibility of God, we must be careful to avoid the two extremes of God is completely unknowable and God is completely Knowable. What we must say, our theology, our doctrine that we say about what God has said in his word is that God is incomprehensible yet knowable. With our finite minds, we cannot comprehend all that God is, but in his compassion, in his goodness, in his mercy, God has chosen to reveal himself in his word to us in ways that we can understand. The incomprehensible God is beyond our understanding and yet we can know him as he has revealed himself to us in his word. He stays incomprehensible while revealing more and more of himself to us. And it will be that way for eternity. The incomprehensible God will will reveal more and more of himself to us. We will get to know him more and yet he will remain incomprehensible. Paul alludes to this in Ephesians 2. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, there's a purpose clause, why did Jesus do everything that he did in his life, death, and resurrection? So that, purpose clause, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I love that. In the coming ages, whatever that means. We'll talk a little bit about next week. In the coming ages. Ages, plural. That's humbling. God will show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness. Wow. 
The riches of his grace are immeasurable. They cannot be measured. It will take ages for God just to unpack his grace, to unpack his kindness. Take, take those little attributes. It will take ages to unpack grace, ages to unpack his kindness. And even then, the riches of his grace and kindness toward us will still be immeasurable. After 10,000 years of unpacking his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, They'll still be immeasurable. So eternity is all about basking in the immeasurable riches of the incomprehensible God. It will not be boring at all. It's not fog machines and we're all wearing robes and just singing hymns all the time. And it's important to know this. The more you know about God, the more you realize what you don't know. The more you know about God, the more you get corrected in what you thought you knew about God. So when we talk about the incomprehensible God, it's not as if we grow in knowledge and then somehow we slowly diminish or overcome his incomprehensibility in some way. It's not like when we learn more about God that he starts draining out like, ooh, I'm at 75% incomprehensibility, losing Quite the opposite. Scripture seems to indicate that the more we contemplate God and grow in the knowledge of Him, then the more incomprehensible God appears. In other words, the more you know, the more you don't know. Welcome to discipleship. And this seems to be the idea behind what Paul says in Philippians 3. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Keep in mind, Paul was probably in his 60s or 70 years old when he wrote this. And he still wants to know Jesus more. I said it earlier. He says, and those of you who are mature should think this way. Those of you who have been Christians for a long time, you need to keep pressing on to know Jesus more and more. This is why we keep pressing on to know God. No matter how long we've been a Christian. And no matter what we already know of him. So what? You've read a book on, I don't know, the sovereignty of God? You don't have that mastered. Pick up another book on the sovereignty of God and read it. And you'll be like, oh. That's why you read the Bible and you're just like, I saw something new. Why are we surprised we see something new out of God's word? (laughs) He's the incomprehensible God who has revealed himself through some baby talk. Remember what we saw last week? Goo, goo, gaga. We read it like, I saw something I hadn't seen. I read this verse a hundred times. I've never seen that before. Who are we to be shocked that we discover something new from the incomprehensible God's word to us? How arrogant we are. I'm just surprised I saw saw something new. I'm surprised I've ever seen anything in this because this book is wonderful. And this is just an outskirt of his ways. All right, tangent. This is why a manuscript, because I just go off. 
No matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter what we already know of him, there is more to know. As R.C. Sproul said, unless we know God deeply, we cannot love him deeply. Deepening knowledge must precede deepening affection. To know the incomprehensible God more and more is to love him more and more. That's why we were created. And that's why we keep pressing on to know him more and more. Paul's desire is to know Jesus more. He wants to know the incomprehensible God more and more. He's not coasting in his old age. He's going deeper. He's working on like post-doctorate studies over in England somewhere for Paul. He's like, I got my PhD, but there are postdoctoral studies that I can do to learn more and more about God. But Paul, you're so old. I don't care. I want to know him. He's going deeper. He's pressing on. And two things happen when we keep pressing on to know Jesus in his word. Number one, we get joy. And number two, God is glorified because he becomes the supreme treasure in our lives. Listen, there's so much more of Christ to be known. So much more joy to experience. There is more of the incomprehensible God to enjoy. His wonders are inexhaustible to eternity. But until then, dig into this book. Get to know him more. So let's press on to know Jesus. Number one, theologically, by reading good books, if you don't know, a great starting place is by J.I. Packer, Knowing God. That's a great book to start with. Number two, let's know him biblically by reading the Bible. And number three, let's know him personally by spending time with him in prayer, talking to him, pouring our hearts out to him. Do you know Jesus? Come today. Come with all your sin and all your baggage. Receive forgiveness. Be set free. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Do you want to know him more? Yeah, we may be like little kids discussing nuclear physics, but let's get to know him more. Make it your life's goal. Make it your priority to know, your priority to know him and to enjoy him. Why does God love sinners? <laughs> I mean, I know he does because it's who he is, but I wonder, why does God love sinners? Why did God save me? Why? Why? I don't know. But he did. If you wrestle with those questions, let it lead you to worship and say, I can't believe it, but I believe it. When you don't understand God's ways, explode with praise. Let's pray. Jesus, what do we want for the rest of our days? We cannot say it any better than Paul did. Lord, we want to know you better and better and better. More intimately than ever. This is the one thing we want more than anything else because it affects everything else. So we're asking you today, Jesus, by your spirit, renew and refresh, deepen and expand, stretch and broaden 
our relationship with you. This is what we long for, for the gospel to affect our hearts. Help us to be done with lesser things and be more taken up with the things which matter most to your heart. So very amen, we pray in your most glorious, loving, and incomprehensible name.